For the lesson this morning will come from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good to see all of you this morning. I want to make one quick uh, announcement. This evening after services, uh, Brother K.J. Moore, who's been with us um, since, I guess, May of this year, June of this year, um, he wants to have a meeting with young adults. Uh, he's looking at helping a young adults group ministry to be started. And so uh, if you fall into that category and we're not checking, you know, uh, age or anything like that, but if you fall into that category or if you're interested in helping with that particular ministry, this evening after services over in the education building, there'll be a, a meeting and I think you're encouraged to bring your own meal as a brown bag type of thing. So if you're interested in that, uh, talk to KJ some more after services this morning and he can fill you in on some information. This morning's lesson is going to deal with the big picture of the Bible, God's eternal purpose. Seth just read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, where it says that according to the eternal purpose of God, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, many blessings have been brought to you and me. I want us to think about this morning, what is the eternal purpose of God and why, does that, why is that subject even important for me to know anything about? In the first place, it's because it has to do with the theme of Scripture. When you open this Bible, there are 66 books and all of them are telling us something about the eternal purpose of God, the plan, what God intended to do from ages past, what He's trying to accomplish in this world. And it breaks down, the Bible does, into three concepts. The salvation of man. God in his purpose, in his plan for this world, always intended for mankind to be saved. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And he does that, he accomplishes that by saving us from our sin, by washing our sins away. And he does that through Jesus Christ. Because the only way sin could ever be taken away, the Bible teaches, is through the sacrifice of a perfect being, a perfect man. Jesus Christ came to this world. He never sinned, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, and thus he was qualified to shed his blood for our sins. So what's the Bible all about? It's about mankind's salvation through Jesus Christ, and the reason for it all is so that God might be glorified. You see, when we come to Jesus and when we find salvation in him, it glorifies, it honors, it lifts up God. It shows his greatness. And so as we're thinking about these ideas this morning, it's important to realize the Bible is a book that comes from God. It's a book that is all about God. And it's a book that tells us about how God wants a relationship with you. And he's done so much through history to make that relationship possible. We should not treat it lightly. God has said over and over through the history of the world, I love mankind, I want a relationship with mankind. It's as if he's a parent reaching out his hand to a small child that refuses over and over to take his hand. But you and I, we can have a part in the eternal purpose, the eternal plan of God, if we'll respond to him in obedient faith. 
When we think about God's eternal purpose, again, the fact that God always, from before the world was created, always planned to save mankind. He always had in his mind the idea that he was going to send Jesus to die for us and that we could have a relationship through him. When we think about that, I want us to notice five observations this morning. The eternal purpose of God, this is foundational to everything else that happens in the Bible. It really is, in many ways, the story of the Bible. Notice these five observations as we think about God's plan for this world. Number one, it is God's plan. It's not yours, it's not mine. It's not anybody else's except for God's. God is the ruler and designer of this world and God is the one who decided what this world was going to be built for. And he's the one that decided how and when and why he was gonna save people. And so as you think about it, consider these passages. In Isaiah 46, verses eight through 10, the prophet Isaiah says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors, you sinners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other, God says. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, now listen to what God says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Brothers and sisters and friends, when we think about the plan of salvation, it is God's plan. It's not ours. It's not our right to try to rearrange or give him advice or tell him, you know, that part of the plan won't work, God. That's not the way the plan of salvation works. It is God's plan through and through. Romans eleven thirty three through 36, among many other questions, Paul asks, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Think about that question. Would we ever be so arrogant as to try to give God advice and counsel? God, I don't think you got everything planned just right. It is his plan, it is his design. When we think about how people will be saved and what God intends to do in this world, he's the one who's making the decisions. And our choice is just to obey or to disobey. Again, Ephesians 1 verse 11, according to the purpose of him who works all things together according to the counsel of his will. God does what he designs to do in this world. God is sovereign over this world. And the first thing you need to know about the plan of salvation, God's eternal purpose is that it is God's plan. We didn't get together here at Katy and decide what it looks like to be a Christian and decide what it looks like to be saved. We didn't get together and just decide, hey, let's take a vote on how we think people need to be brought to Christ. That's not the way it works. It is God's plan, it's his design, and we need to heed his will. It's important to consider that. Otherwise, are we so arrogant as to try to give God advice? Secondly, as we think about the eternal purpose of God, I want you to notice this. It is an eternal plan. This is important. I'm gonna put a timeline up here this morning because I know a lot of you guys like to think in linear terms. So watch this on the timeline on the screen. I'm putting a little world there and it's gonna represent the creation of the world. Back in Genesis one, when God said, let there be light and let there be a division, the, the, uh, the land from the sea and let there be you know, animals and creeping things on the earth. When God created the world back in Genesis chapter one, I want you to notice on our timeline here that the Bible teaches that God's plan of salvation, God's plan for how he was gonna redeem man, it predates the creation of the world. Watch this. When you read your New Testament, it uses language like this. 
that God's plan came into his mind before the foundation of the world or some of the other language you'll see in a moment, before the ages begin or from all eternity. This is not a plan that God has just made up as he goes along. This is not a concept that God has just had to, you know, oh, I'm surprised by this. I'm gonna make plan B now. This is a plan that was in God's mind before he ever said, let there be light. It is an eternal plan. That's why the passage Seth read just a moment ago speaks about according to God's eternal purpose. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? It's a really big deal. Did you know that there are churches all over our land this morning that believe and teach that the church, the New Testament church that we read about in the New Testament, that this was never part of the plan? Did you know there are people that think that? They think that salvation in Christ and and what we have right now, this was never foreseen by the Old Testament prophets, that what we're a part of in the church that belongs to Jesus, this this was just a plan B because God didn't see that Jesus was gonna be rejected. God didn't see that the Jews were gonna refuse him as their king. And so therefore, God had to make up an audible from the line of scrimmage, so, so to speak. There are people that teach that. But the Bible says, no, the plan of how God was gonna save people in Christ and through his church, this has always been the plan before the foundation of the world. Watch these passages. Titus 1, verses two and three. Titus says, or Paul says, in hope of eternal life, which it's highlighted, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. That means before he ever said, let there be light, God intended to save mankind through Jesus Christ and through his church. The plan of salvation, it's an eternal plan. First Peter 1, 18 through 20, you were not ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's how you're saved. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then it says, and this is not insignificant, he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This has always been God's plan, that he was gonna save people in Jesus Christ, that Jesus was gonna be manifest in these last times for our sake. It's always been the plan before he ever created the world. It's an eternal plan. Second Timothy 1 verses nine and 10, just looking at the highlighted part. The salvation, the grace which he gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. It's all over the New Testament, the eternal purpose, the eternal plan of God. Ephesians 1 verses 4 and 5, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. The idea of scripture is that when it comes to the plan that God has to save us from our sins, this plan is not recent, it's not new, and it's certainly not surprising to God. This has always been what he desired to do in the world. By the way, you know the New Testament Jews that you read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? They were surprised. They were surprised that this is the plan, that Christ and his church was the way that God actually had always intended to save because they had gotten the idea through history that they were the plan, that they were the end of it all. And so one of the reasons why they crucified Jesus was because they thought, you know, he he can't be the Messiah because he's saying the salvation is found in another place besides Abraham. And over and over and over, you read, read your New Testament, and you'll find they were surprised and they, they disagreed that Jesus was the way, that he was the Messiah. 
It's always been God's plan. First Corinthians two, verses seven and eight, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Over and over, the, before the ages, before the foundation of the world, this plan was in God's mind. Get the point? The idea is that God has designed a way for us to be saved and he did it before he ever said, let there be light. Now back to our timeline. Before the foundation of the world, God had this plan in mind and then God created the world and Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three. Now, watch what happens on our timeline. Before Jesus comes to this world, before the cross, there were a lot of prophecies there were a lot of people like Isaiah and Moses and Joshua and, and Amos and Obadiah talking about things relating to God's plan, but nobody, none of those prophets said everything about it. People knew there was a plan. They knew that God was doing something in history. Jeremiah talked about how God was gonna make a new covenant with his people, Jeremiah 31. He talked about how God was going to establish a, a new relationship with people through someone who's gonna offer a sacrifice, but not everybody understood, nobody understood the full details of this. And that's why the New Testament calls the gospel, the, the New Testament message, it calls it a mystery. The reason is because prior to the cross, it was something hidden. It was a mystery. Watch this. As you read the New Testament, you've got Peter saying things like this in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning your salvation, he says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or, or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And then as you look at the end of that passage, it says, not only did the prophets who were writing down those prophecies wonder about when those prophecies were gonna be fulfilled and how they were gonna be fulfilled, but the Bible says in verse 12 of 1 Peter 1 that the angels themselves desired to look into these things. Even the angels up in heaven wondered, how is God going to save the world? How is he going to take people's sins away? What's going to happen that, that God's going to be able to say, I forgive you to mankind and still be God? Because God can't be unjust. He wouldn't be God if he were. And so how is that gonna happen? How's that gonna work out? Even the angels were wondering about that, that mystery. How's it gonna take place before Christ came? In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, Moses said, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. All through the Old Testament, God was giving people commandments and, and principles and, and, and examples of how he wanted them to live. And Moses said, there are still some things that God has not yet revealed, the secret things. They still belong to God. As you look at Old Testament history, you'll find that this mystery was, was all over the place. And even when Jesus came to earth, watch what it says about Jesus. They ask him one day, Jesus, why are you teaching in parables? They just seem really, um, you know, really difficult for people to kind of accept and understand. Why do you keep teaching this way? And Jesus says in Matthew 13, 35, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The reason I'm teaching in parables, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. Why are you teaching about the sower and the soils? Why are you teaching about the parable of the dragnet, Jesus? Why are you teaching about the prodigal son? Where, where did all this teaching come from? These are God's plan that have been hidden since the foundation of the world. 
if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Jesus came, brothers and sisters and friends, he came to reveal fully God's plan. It was a mystery. Everybody saw some details, but nobody saw all the details until Jesus came and Jesus fully revealed that which God desires for us, how God's gonna save the world through Christ. Its details were a mystery for centuries. But then when Jesus came to this world, here's our timeline again, before the foundation of the world, God had this plan in his mind. He created the world. He started giving prophecies and yet the full details of how he was going to save mankind were still a mystery. But these things are fulfilled, brothers and sisters. And the New Testament tells us this, they are fulfilled in Christ and in his church. Now in years past, when I put a little graphic of the church up there on the screen, I probably would have put a little house, a little building. But I've since learned better and I thought, you know, it's probably less confusing to people if I just put a bunch of people up there because that's what the church is. The church is not the building. It's not a house. It's not a, it's not a structure like the one that we're in. The church is you and me, it's people. It's people who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's the point I'm trying to make out of everything else I'm saying this morning. God's eternal purpose, brothers and sisters, was to save mankind. It was to save you through Jesus Christ for his own glory. And that happens in Christ and his church because the church is his body. Somebody says, well, why do I need to be a member of the church? Why should I even be a part of the church? Because the church is the plan. This is what God has always had in his mind since before time began. That's why it's important. That's why you need to be a part of it. This has always been the plan of God. This is always what he was working for. The people who belong to Jesus Christ, they belong together and we are to have fellowship with one another. This is the eternal purpose of God. And we can't just say, considering that, that somehow the church doesn't matter or somehow I can be spiritual without the church or somehow I can be a Christian and fully live in a pleasing way before God without being a part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. This is the eternal purpose of God. Let me share with you some passages along these lines. It is fulfilled in Christ and in his church. Number one, Acts 2.23, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter told those Jews that they'd killed Jesus, you know what he said? You killed Jesus, he said, and this was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God knew this was going to happen before he ever said, let there be light. He knew that you were going to take by lawless hands, by wicked hands, and crucify his son. It is the determined purpose and foreknowledge. This is the plan. You have fulfilled the plan, but you're still wicked because you sinfully did this. Next, 1 Timothy 3.16 Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Why does he say mystery of godliness? Because he's talking about before the cross, the things that people thought were a mystery, the plan that God was revealing. It's a great indeed mystery. And look at what he then talks about. He talks about Jesus. He says the mystery has now been revealed. Look at what happened to Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh. He came to this world. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world and he was taken up into glory. And God's plan has been revealed in Christ is what that passage is saying. In what Jesus came to this world to do, this was always the plan. This was always the goal. This was always the end. This was always the focus of God. It's fulfilled in Christ and it's also fulfilled in his church. The apostle writes, when you read these things, Ephesians 3, 4 through 6, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, Paul says. 
which was not made known in the Old Testament to the sons of men and other generations as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Bible says that you and I have an advantage over people like Abraham and Moses and David. The advantage we have is that we now see how God is going to accomplish his will. We see that God can save men through Jesus Christ and when people become part of Jesus Christ, they become part of his church. We can see things that others in previous generations could not. And as we read our New Testaments, as we read what we find by the apostles' hands, we find the mystery revealed. And notice what he goes on to say, this mystery is, Ephesians 3, verses five and six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, they're part of the church too, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the the revelation is salvation comes through the Jews. Jesus himself was a Jewish man who died on a cross, a Roman cross, but now The gates are open and all whosoever will may come. Every tribe and tongue and nation and creed, everybody may come to Jesus Christ, humble themselves and obey him and find salvation in his church. Again, same passage, Ephesians 3, 9 and 10. It pleased God to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God must be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. It was always God's plan to save people by Jesus Christ in his church, in the body of Christ. This is what God had in mind before the world began, the New Testament teaches. Colossians 1, 26 and 27, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations has now been revealed to his saints. To them, the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's always been God's plan to save people through Christ. And when we become disciples of Christ, we are added to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, Acts 2.47. This is the mystery, it's been revealed. It's now something that's put put into our hands. And so Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, one and two. This is a passage that the apostles would have spoken, but it's also for us today. 1 Corinthians 4, verses one and two. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. What does that mean? Our role in this world, our part in this plan of God is to be good stewards of the mysteries, to take what's been revealed, to take the gospel, how Jesus can save us and how being a part of his church is God's will for us. We can take this mystery to the world. We are to be stewards of it. It's an evangelism passage to take these ideas and thoughts from God and share them with people so that we may be found faithful as stewards. It's evangelism, taking the eternal purpose of God, which has been revealed in Christ Jesus and sharing it with the world around us. The plan is fulfilled in Christ and in his church. Now, observation number five, you have a decision to make. Because when you look at that timeline, God had a plan before the foundation of the world, the details were worked out through history and finally revealed fully in Christ and in his church. And now the mystery has been revealed and we're living in an age where we know some things, we know a lot of things about God's will that others in prior generations did not. And here's the basic choice you and I have. God opposes those who reject his plan always has. 
you can look at what the Bible says about God wanting to save you and God wanting you to be a part of the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. You can look at all those things and you can say, eh, that's not for me. Maybe the Jesus stuff is for other people, but it's not for me and he's not for me. Back in the Old Testament, Pharaoh received a messenger, Moses, one day. And Moses said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Exodus 5, verses 1 and 2. He opposed God's plan. God said, Pharaoh, my will for you is that you let my people go. Pharaoh refused. And Pharaoh and his nation received 10 plagues, terrible plagues, and finally received final judgment from God in the fact that they were drowned in the sea after the Israelites had crossed through. It's happened in other places. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, opposed God's will and God destroyed him eventually. Pilate and the Jewish Sanhedrin, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't approve of what Jesus was doing and so Pilate consented to let them crucify Jesus. They opposed God's plan. God opposes those who reject his plan and today God opposes still those who will reject his plan. I don't want to listen to God's plan for man's salvation. I want to do something different. I want to do something else. God opposes people like that. But the other side of the choice is this. God blesses those who trust and obey Jesus Christ. When people put their trust and their obedience in Jesus Christ and his will, God blesses them. Ephesians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we just humble ourselves and we look at God's plan, God's eternal plan, his eternal purpose, and we say, God, thank you so much for saving me through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for revealing your will for me in my life by showing me what it means to be a member of the New Testament church. When we humble ourselves and do that, the Bible says God finds ways to bless people who trust and obey Jesus Christ. And the greatest blessing you can ever receive is the blessing of knowing God of having a relationship with him. That's the thing we ought to seek more than anything else. This is the plan. This is God's purpose. The salvation of man through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And this is what he wants for you more than anything else. He wants you to be saved. You have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. All of us do. Will I live in such a way that I please and serve and obey God, or will I live in such a way that I show myself to be rebellious and in opposition to his plan? The choice is ours. If you need to come to Christ this morning, belief in Christ, repentance of your sin and baptism, those things are commanded by God so that someone can come into a right, into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to be able to help you with that if that's your decision this morning. If it is, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.